What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me here for this Thursday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We are a Sports Ethos presentation, of course, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You can find me over on Twitter at JoeOrico99 and also at EthosFantasyBB. That's where you'll get all the new updates to our draft guide, any new podcasts, polls, any bit of baseball content. That is where we will share it out. I've been hitting you guys over the head with it now all offseason to make sure you're following along because next week the draft guide is going to be released. We're going to soft launch over the weekend, and then we are going to start really heavily promoting everything uh, starting Monday. And then over the course of the next few weeks, there's going to be a lot of content, redraft and dynasty. There's prospect lists, there are sleepers, there are strategy pieces, so much stuff that you can get access to over at sportsethos.com. And it will, of course, be shared out on social. So make sure you guys are checking out the website and following along on social media. But today we're going to do another team preview. We are going to be doing the Cleveland Guardians today. Again, we're taking this one solo. It'll be more so uh, solo shows now in terms of the team previews, just as I try and get the last few of them done here uh, before we start really getting into the March content, which will be more drafts, mock drafts, and real ones, talking about rankings and all of that fun stuff. But we have a few more teams to go through. We're going to go uh, with the Cleveland Guardians today, and we're going to start at the top of the order as we usually do with Mr. Stephen Kwan. Stephen Kwan's ADP this year is substantially lower than last year, uh, coming in at 223. And it wasn't really a bad season from him. Uh, he took a step back in terms of batting average, going from 298 down to 268. But other than that, it was very similar to what we saw in 2022. Six homers versus five, 89 runs versus 93, 52 ribbies versus 54, and 19 stolen bases versus 21. It's like the same season, except the batting average came down a little bit. The strikeout and walk rates were about the same. Everything was very similar except for that batting average. And his BABIP was a little bit lower in 2023 than it was in 2022, his batting average on balls in play. You can expect that to maybe go up a little bit. And I think Quan is probably somebody that, you know, 268 might end up being the lowest batting average we see from him. I think he's probably a 280 to 285 type of hitter. The power is not there. I wouldn't expect really much power at all. The bad X has him projected for only two home runs. Steamer has him for nine. It'll be somewhere in that range, but he won't be an asset in that regard. You're really looking at runs, stolen bases, and batting average. And again, he's a guy I think fits into certain team builds. There's not a type of player where you can just say, yep, you get to this point of the draft, Quan's going to fit your needs. You might really need power beyond pick 200, and if you do... Stephen Kwan is not the name for you to be targeting. If you've taken guys, uh, you know, low 20s type of home run guys or guys who are maybe more speedsters who aren't going to be giving you uh, power, like Kwan is probably not the fit for that build. If you've taken a lot of players, the Kyle Schorbers, the Pete Alonzos of the world who are higher power, lower batting average types, then Kwan can be a nice guy to kind of balance those players out. Won't have to cost you a lot on draft day. We are talking about beyond pick 200, right? So I think about 220 on average in a 12-team league. You're talking about like round 19. For somebody that's going to play, you know, we, we've seen it over the last two years, 147 and 158. Solid defense. He is going to be playing pretty much every single day. And defense is kind of an overlooked aspect in fantasy. If you can't play defense, then you're not going to be on the field as much. Quan, there, there's no competition for that job for him. He is very, very clearly going to be starting in the outfield every single day. So you're going to get the volume. It's just a matter of will he get the batting average back up a little bit, which I think he will. I think we're going to be looking at at least 275 or so. 
And will he be able to maybe, maybe eke out double-digit homers for you? I don't think that we're even going to get there. My projection's looking at about eight homers, 20 steals, 90 runs. It's pretty much exactly the same thing as what you've seen these last couple of years in terms of what I'll project from him with about a 275, 280 batting average. I think he's fine, just depending on the certain build that you have. Let's talk about Andres Jimenez, another guy who honestly disappointed last year but the price hasn't come down super super much uh it's at 110 right now super much i know not exactly grammatically correct but his price has not really come down as much as i was hoping for considering he did take kind of a significant step back this past season in 2022 he had a wrc plus of 142 one of the better hitters in baseball in 2022 he gave you 17 homers 20 steals batted 297 he was excellent this past season it was about the same number of home runs, went from 17 to 15. The runs jumped up from 66 to 76. The RBI went from 69 to 62. It was generally in the same range in terms of the counting stats. The stolen bases went from 20 to 30, which is obviously a huge jump, but it came at the cost of his batting average, going from 297 down to 251. And his WRC Plus, he went from one of the better hitters in baseball <clears throat> by that metric at 142 down to 97, where at this point in, like, he was a below-average hitter all things considered, in 2023. I don't think the price has come down enough um, that I would be that interested in him. Second base is kind of a tricky spot, but going in the same kind of range as Glaber Torres and Bryson Stott, those are guys that I'm taking every single time over, over Jimenez. I think they're in better lineups. I think they're just better players overall. And considering the price is about the same, there, there's just no reason for me to be that interested in Jimenez. The speed is nice, but the batting average is something that I, I have no clue what it's going to look like. Going from 297 to 251, Babips are all over the place. He's projected for about 260. That's probably about where you, you're going to see my projections as well, 260, 265. I just think that you can do better in that range. I think there's more upside with Stott and with Glaber Torres to the point where I just, I'm never going to be clicking on Andres Jimenez this year based on what we saw last year. The 30 steals are nice, but I can get that with Stott in a better lineup. Similar power, higher batting average floor. I just, I'm really not interested in drafting Andres Jimenez this year. Let's talk about the best player on the team, Jose Ramirez. We mentioned him on the stream the other night when we did that live auction draft, and we had a couple questions in the chat about Jose Ramirez. The power is something that people are kind of concerned about, going from 36 homers to 29 down to 24. See, I, I don't see it as being that concerning because he's only 31 years old still. I mean, he's not young, young anymore, but it's still young enough where we're not going to see drastic declines in power. Uh, I think he's still like a 25 to 30 home run guy. He hit 24 last year. It was not a great year in terms of isolated power for him in terms of slugging. It wasn't his best season, but I think it's kind of just an anomaly at, at that age. It's not like, oh, here's the decline with Jose Ramirez. Like if he hits 32 home runs this year, no one's going to be surprised. I think that you're probably looking at about what the projections are saying, 27, 28 homers. You're going to get more than 20 stolen bases. I'm not sure if that's going to be 23, if it's going to be 31, if it's going to be 28, but 20 stolen bases is the floor for Jose Ramirez. The counting stats are a little concerning coming down the last couple of years the way they have. It's not a Jose Ramirez problem. It's a Cleveland Guardians problem. Going from 126 ribbies down to 80 the next season while playing the same number of games, like one fewer game, it's – a crazy, crazy drop-off, 46 RBIs to lose. I mean, that's not something that you're, you're going to see happen very regularly for any player to go lose that kind of number off of their RBI total. I think that he's probably somebody in, like, the mid-90s, you know, high 80s, mid-90s at least with the potential for 100. 
Um, that lineup just kind of disappointed last year. There were some injuries as well. But I, I think generally speaking, if you look at what he does every single year, 80 is a floor. Like if you're looking at what he did last year and saying, well, he's probably going to give me 80 RBI again. That's like a worst case scenario if he's only able to give you 80. I think we're looking at a guy who's a 25-25 player with about 90 runs in RBIs. And we're talking about a guy who's a 280 hitter for his career who hit 282 last season. Very solid across all five categories. Nothing's really changed so much from a year ago where he was the number one player in some drafts. It was you know a lot more muddy last season who was going to be number one in a draft if it was going to be Acuna. Sometimes it was Ramirez. Sometimes it was Trey Turner. I think we saw even Aaron Judge go number one a few times. There was a lot more uh, gray area as opposed to this year. But now we're getting him around later, and we're sometimes in the first round still. Sometimes he's falling to round two. And if you're getting Jose Ramirez in round two, I think that you could do a lot worse getting that batting average and stolen base floor uh, from your third baseman. It's a really huge advantage for you at this point. Uh, let's talk about Josh Naylor, though, who's going to be batting right behind Jose Ramirez in the lineup. It was an injury last season that cost him about a quarter of the year and probably cost him, almost definitely cost him uh, some spots on the MVP ballot. We're looking at a weird split for runs and RBIs. Only 52 runs in 121 games, but he drove in 97. Very, very strange lineup to evaluate. He stole 10 bases, he hit 17 homers, and he batted 308. If Naylor had been able to play 140 games, you're looking at 20-plus homers, probably about 15 steals, that great batting average. You would have been well over 100 ribbies, probably looking at about 70 runs. He would have been on the MVP ballot if he had not gotten hurt and missed time. I think that he's one of my favorite targets this year at first base. He's going to pick 137 in 12-team drafts over the last month. You're not paying up for somebody who's providing value across the board. I'm not sure if the steals are going to be considered you know, an asset necessarily because it might be 10, it might be 7, it might be 12. It's still pretty positive for a first baseman. Generally, you're not getting a lot of steals out of first base, and Naylor is able to provide that with the high batting average. Again, the lineup is kind of the big question for a lot of players here, and I'm not sure if it's going to be 97 RBI again, but I think you're probably looking at 90 as a floor. If he's able to stay healthy, 85-90 at least. You know he's a pretty solid batting average, 270 over the course of close to 500 games in the majors now, so he's a pretty solid batting average asset. There's nothing really not to like. If you are going to wait on first base this year, there's a nice pocket of players between pick 100 and 200. When you're talking about him, Yandy Diaz, Vinny Pasquantino, there's a lot of names that I've talked about that I really like at first base. I don't have a problem if you want to take Freddie Freeman in round one. I've done it myself this year once or twice. But you can also wait on first baseman pretty easily this year. There's a lot of value as you go down the board. Let's talk about Josh's brother, Bo Naylor. I, I think Bo is probably going to be looking at fairly full-time catching uh, duties this season. He's generally projected for about 100-plus games, 113 some projection systems have him as low as 91, which is steamer. Uh, but I think the playing time is going to be pretty secure for him there. We're looking at a guy who can steal your bases from behind home plate and hit for a pretty decent batting average. It doesn't need to be like a huge number for it to be an asset from behind the dish. Naylor could hit 240, and that would still be pretty decent, especially considering that he's a potential 20 home run, 10 steal bat. I think that he's a, a real dark horse to finish as like a top five catcher this year. And it's really, honestly, not that difficult if you are a catcher who steals bases. That's a huge part of the value, especially compared to the other catchers because there's just so few of them who actually steal. It's going to be Real Muto. It's going to be Gabriel Moreno. Connor Wong is going to steal you some bases. You might get a couple from Contreras, but there's really not a lot of stolen bases to go around behind the dish. Naylor is somebody that we've seen across the minor leagues steal. Like in 2022, he stole 20 bases. 2023, 
it was only seven. So I, I don't know exactly what we're going to be looking at, but it is a positive compared to the rest of the field. I, I, I really like him as a number one catcher. I think you can get away with it. I think that based on where he's going in drafts, which at this point is a little bit more expensive than it was, it's going up. Uh, 171, you can make him as your, your number one or your number two catcher. If you are in a 12-team league, he's a great guy to wait on. Talked about this yesterday. A couple times we've talked about this. You don't need to be taking a catcher in the top 50 picks or in the top 70 or the top 100 because there are guys like Bo Naylor that you can wait on who are going to be giving you that same kind of value. I think he's going to be pretty damn close to what J.T. Real Muto is going to be giving us this season. That's, that's my prediction. The batting average won't be the same. The counting stats probably won't be the same. But in terms of homers and stolen bases, I think Bo Naylor is a great value this season. Let's talk about Ramon Laureano. Ramon Laureano was a really, really nice fantasy asset a few years ago in Oakland. He had a 24-13 and 13 season in 2019, albeit when it was the happy fun ball year. He batted 288 as well. 2020 was a pretty solid season for him, considering it was a short year, six homers, a couple steals. The batting average wasn't great, but no massive concerns. And then 2021, I believe it was when he got hit with a PED suspension. He was having a good year, 14 and 12, through about half a season. We haven't seen him healthy or really as productive since. That batting average was a huge anomaly those first couple of years. 288 and 288 in his first two seasons, which combined to be about 170 games. Since then, we've seen 213, 246, 211, and 224. So that batting average cushion is no longer there with Laureano. I think the playing time is going to be there for him which is kind of the big key if he's able to, to be there. And, it, of course, the health is a factor as well, but I think he'll be given the chance to be an everyday player. I think that you're probably looking at about 15 and 15 in terms of what the production is going to look like for the whole season, 17 and 13, 12 and 16. It'll be somewhere in that 15 and 15 range, probably looking at about 60 runs and 60 RBIs. The batting average is not going to be great. I think that he makes a lot of sense in deeper leagues. He's not somebody that – is even really being targeted if you're looking at 12-team leagues over the last month. Ramon Laureano is not even being drafted. Um, that is on the NFBC. If you go deeper and you look at like 15 teams, he's being drafted in, in draft and holds at about pick 450. He's not somebody that I'm taking a look at on Yahoo leagues, on ESPN leagues. In, in a lot of leagues, I don't think that he's really going to be that interesting to start the year. He's more of a deeper league target for now, but he's somebody that could definitely play himself into a chance to, uh, to be a 12-team fantasy asset. If he ended up with 20 homers and 20 steals, again, I'm not going to project that. I'm not going to expect it, predict it, whatever. But it wouldn't shock me either. Like, he does have some upside left in him. He's only 29 years old. He'll be 30 this year. Um, but I think he's just somebody to kind of keep an eye on in your shallow leagues, not somebody that I'm going to be really interested in taking on draft day. Let's talk Kyle Manzardo. I have talked about him a little bit, and you guys know I'm not the biggest prospect guy, but I, I've really been drawn to Manzardo over the last couple of years. I think the Cleveland really stole him away from Tampa. Um, I, I think that that trade was a huge positive for the Guardians. It was a real-life sell-high on Aaron Zavalli and a real-life buy-low on Kyle Manzardo. He had a bad 2023. And, you know, if you look at what he did in 2021 and 2022, the numbers are just beastly. He was incredible. This past season, I heard reports, and I, I've looked it up like this is – apparently it's, it's verified um, that he had – um, a family member who was dealing with an illness this past season. I believe it was his mother who was very sick. That's going to play a, a role mentally. Like we only ever talk about what the numbers are telling us. And we tend to kind of shy away from the personal things, the stuff that can be off the field that can play a role. But if you have a sick family member, if your mother is sick or any close family member, that's going to be weighing on you. 
Um, the personal aspect of this whole thing is kind of brushed aside. It was done with Josh Hader last year. You know, he had a bad 2022. He had pregnancy complicate or his wife had pregnancy complications. He was traded midseason. Once his kid was born, there were further complications. And he had a bad year. Like, yeah, no shit. Everybody's going to have a bad year if that's the case. Hader bounced back pretty well this past season. It's a different case altogether with Kyle Manzardo, but just remember the human element there. He was dealing with shit in 2023. It appears that that is something that's settled down at this point, and I, I think he's going to be given a chance to be the Guardians' everyday first baseman. The power is legit. We've seen it across the minor leagues. If he's able to play 120 games, I think we're easily looking at 20 home runs. The batting average is kind of interesting because it was a huge asset before 2023. This past year, he batted about 240-something. So in the majors... I don't really know what we're looking at. I'm hopeful that he can be a 260, 270 hitter with 20-plus home run power and maybe chip in a couple of steals. That would be what I'm probably expecting. And it does depend on how much the Guardians are willing to let him play. If he's going to play every single day, then he's going to be flying up boards. If we do get note during spring training that he's unlikely to make the team or whatever, then obviously there's not as much of a need to be drafting him. Right now he's going to pick 338. He's kind of like a dart throw last couple rounds. If he makes the team, he does well, then that's awesome for you at that price. If he doesn't, he's a very easy drop because it's just not terribly expensive to be paying post 300 for somebody with, with that kind of prospect type around him. Now the last two spots in the order, Brian Rocchio and Miles Straw, they're just not going to be guys that I think we really need to spend too much time on. There's just really no fantasy viability, specifically with Miles Straw. I mean, we all got fooled a couple of years ago with Straw into thinking, well, maybe there's something here. Maybe the stolen bases are going to be able to carry him with the high batting average. But there's, there's really nothing there with Straw. With Brian Rocchio, I think that he'll probably get a fairly regular role, but I don't think the production is going to be that great. I think best case scenario is like, 10 and 10 absolute best case scenario with likely not a great batting average from him. He's not somebody to be taking a look at outside of your truly, truly deep leagues. And then on the bench, there's just, again, nobody really here uh, who is that interesting to me. The only thing that I'll mention is that Austin Hedges was brought in this off season. I'm just hoping that they don't do anything foolish and give away a lot of Bo Nealer at bats to Austin Hedges. But based on the way that Hedges is respected, his defensive prowess, there's a chance that he might eat up some more at-bats from Bo Naylor than we are expecting. I'm not hoping for it, and I don't I don't think it's going to happen, but it's definitely a possibility that Hedges and Naylor kind of end up splitting time. It would be bad, but if there is some kind of platoon there, um, it, it wouldn't shock me either. Let's move on to the rotation and start talking about this absolute factory that they have of arms. Shane Bieber, Tristan McKenzie, Tanner Bybee, Logan Allen, and Gavin Williams. 28 years old is the oldest anybody is in that rotation. Um, Shane Bieber is the guy, the elder statesman at this point. Let's start with him. I am very worried that this is going to be the year where Shane Bieber just completely loses it. I was worried last year, and I was worried the year before that they were also coming. This year, though, it feels a little different. Um, if you look at the trajectory these past four seasons since he did win that Cy Young, the strikeout rate was 41% in 2020. Yes, it's a short season, but it was 41%. That's something that you don't even see Strider hit. It's like the Grom-level strikeout rate. Then the next year, which was more of a full season, 2021, I mean, still only 96 innings for him because he did miss time, but it was 33%, which you're thinking, okay, it was never going to be 41. If he can settle in as a mid-30% strikeout rate guy, we're golden here. And then 2022, which was a full season, a legit full season of 200 innings, 
he had a 25% strikeout rate. So you're thinking, okay, it's come down again. It's still pretty good, but we're, we're concerned at that point. And then this year it went down all the way to 20%. So he went from being one of the best strikeout pitchers in baseball, probably the best strikeout pitcher in baseball, to one of the worst. I mean, 20% as a starting pitcher is really bad. It's it's You're not really going to be able to sustain success with that kind of rate, especially with the way the walk rates have kind of bounced around a little bit. That was fine this last year at 6.4, but we've also seen him over 8%. And in the early years, we were looking at below 5%. So the control is not what it used to be. The whip is not what it used to be. The strikeout minus walk rates. Everything has gone the wrong direction. Sierra is a number I love to look at. The Skills Interactive ERA. It was 252 in 2020, and then 321 each of the past two years, 2021 and 2022. This year in 2023, it was 429. This has also coincided with his fastball going from 94 to 93 to 91 to 91. Uh, he's lost velocity on his cutter, on his curveball a little bit, on his changeup. Everything's gone down at least a notch. And on the fastball, we've lost three miles an hour in three years. So, I don't really want anything to do with Shane Bieber. He's been able to have success despite the fact that he hasn't had the velocity there. Even this past year with the injuries, 128 innings, it was a 3-8 ERA. It wasn't like it was a disaster for him. But I think we are trending in the wrong direction for pretty much every single metric here for Shane Bieber. And there's a lot of injuries in that shoulder. Like, I don't know if he's going to be able to sustain a full workload. I don't know what that's even going to look like if he does. There's just too many red flags for me to really want anything to do with Shane Bieber. I think that he is somebody where he's being drafted as like an SP3, SP4, around pick 150. And there's a chance that he's totally fine there. But there's also a chance that he throws 40 innings this year. There's a chance that maybe he throws 200 innings, but they're poor. You know, he's been referred to as fancy Zach Grinky over the last couple of years, and it's hard to argue with that. That's kind of what he has looked like, a fancy version of Zach Grinke. No velocity, control pretty good, just able to kind of hit your corners. There's just no strikeout upside, though. And that's kind of worrisome uh, for somebody still being drafted inside the top 150 with these trends we've seen the last few years. So essentially, I want nothing to do with Shane Bieber this year. He won't be on any of my teams. I think there's just too much risk there for me. He's going to be ranked somewhere in the 40s for starting pitchers. Probably that's where I have him right now, 42 or something. It might even come down a little bit. I, I just I just don't have that much interest in taking Shane Bieber. I think he's a huge, huge risk. Let's talk about Tristan McKenzie. Uh, I was really out coming into 2023, and he had a bad year. Uh, he, had a, he had a, well, I mean, he was not healthy, which is not really his fault. In the four starts where we saw him, he was not good. And uh, I just, another guy where I, I do have concern, I think that his his body type is going to lead to more injuries, being that lanky, built like a stop sign type of player. Shout out to Paul Spore for that type of uh, comparison, because that's pretty much Paul as well. Built like a stop sign, just nothing really there in terms of bulk, in terms of massive weight. He is six foot five, 165 pounds. Does worry me a little bit that there's not a little bit more meat on the bones in terms of staying healthy. I think the strikeouts are okay, but again, trending in the wrong direction the last several years from 33 to 27 to 25. You want to give him a pass for this year at 22%, only four games, which is fine. But even if you want to ignore that, which is totally acceptable to do, the last three years, the strikeout rate has come down. The control has been kind of there, but also like kind of not. The walk rate's 7.1, 11.7, down to 6 and then the short stretch this year was almost an 18% walk rate. As much as I love what Cleveland does with pitchers generally, 
I'm really worried about McKenzie, and I'm really worried about Shane Bieber. I just don't know that I want to be investing at all. Like for sure in Bieber, I think the price is is too expensive for McKenzie. Price is a little bit cheaper at two twelve, but I just I just don't have any interest. Again, I've drafted nine teams this year, and neither of them are on either of those are, are on any of those teams. So read into that what you will. I just think that there's too much risk with the top end of the rotation here with Bieber and with McKenzie. If you want to go for a Cleveland arm. I think Tanner Bybee is probably your guy. He's the most expensive starting pitcher, but I think there's probably good reason for it. Uh, we saw an incredible debut year from him where he had a 2.98 ERA. The supporting metrics were not quite as good. Uh, if you're looking at his Sierra, it was 4.19. Uh, his XFIP was 4.22, and his FIP was 3.52. Not bad, but definitely overperformed a little bit. I think we're just hoping that he will progress the way that we saw in the minor leagues and trying to you know get closer to those strikeout numbers and walk rates of the minor leagues because if you're looking at what he did, high A, double A, triple A, you're looking at a 30-plus percent strikeout rate generally with a fairly low walk rate. He had the walk rate this year only 7.7%, which is really, really solid. It's about average, but for a rookie, you know, especially with the 24% K rate, you will absolutely take that. He had a 1.18 whip. The numbers across the board were really, really good. And I think at this point, considering we're not worried about any massive injuries with him, I think that it's fair to expect him to take a bit of a step forward. And a lot of the projections think, I mean, he's not going to have that same type of ERA because it's just kind of an anomaly to have a sub-3 ERA for anybody. There's only a handful of pitchers who ever do it in a given season. But he's projected for about a 3.75 ERA over 165 innings. They think the strikeout rate will tick up a little bit. I'm totally there with the projections. I think Tanner Bybee is awesome. And I'm just going to pull up my rankings right now and see exactly where he is for me. He's at 32. And I think that you could you could happily move him up or down a couple spots based on your own comfortability. But I think that range is generally where he should be going as around a top 30, top 35 starting pitcher. Uh, Logan Allen, I'm not quite as interested in. The price is a lot cheaper at 336. There are some concerns for me about the control uh, we saw in the minors. The control was not terrible, but like over 10% walk rate. First year in the bigs, it was nine to go along with the 22% K rate. It led to a 140 whip. He allowed a 260 batting average against, just not ideal. The 381 ERA was good. The supporting metrics were were fairly solid, but I think that's more so just the strikeout thing with him. Like in the minors, he was generally above 30%. Uh, it's the strikeout, and I should say strikeout minus walk rate. That is kind of a basic stat, but it is still, like, if you look at the leaderboards year in and year out, it's fairly predictive in terms of who's going to be good the following year. The strikeout minus walk rate at 13% is, it doesn't sound like a huge difference, like even from Bybee, who was at like 17%, but it, it does make uh, kind of a substantial difference at that point. The fact that he's a lefty, it probably bodes well for him because teams will be more interested, whether it's Cleveland or, you know, five, 10 years from now down the road, he'll likely get more opportunities just because he is a lefty. It's a little more rare, but I just don't have that same kind of comfort level with him as I do with, with, with Gavin Williams, who we'll get to in a second or with Bybee. I think that he is for me pretty comfortably the third, not, uh, the third name in that group. He should be starting the year after Gavin. Will Gavin Williams should get a start before Logan Allen does. And just one last thing on Allen is be careful because there are a couple of Logan Allens in the player pool. If you are on draft day and you're not going by, like, if he pops up on a, on the ADP thing, whatever, he's at the top of the list, okay. But if you're just searching for Logan Allen, be careful you're not clicking the wrong one because there are a couple of different Logan Allens. So make sure you're getting the SP for Cleveland. But I, I don't think he's bad or anything. I just think that there are 
there are too many concerns for me to really be that interested. He could pan out at his ADP, and I don't have really a, a big problem with taking a shot on him there. I just think you got to keep your expectations in check a little bit as well. Gavin Williams might be the best arm in the rotation here long-term. Um, the pedigree from the minor leagues, we're looking at close to a 40% strikeout rate with him. The big problem is the control, which does come a lot of the time when you see guys have these massive fastball velocities, massive strikeout rates. You're going to see them struggle with control a little bit, and we did to some extent. I mean, I'm giving him a pass a little bit. It was more than to some extent. He had a 10.7% walk rate with a 23.5% K rate, which is really good. Considering he was a rookie, like 23.5 is generally whatever, but as a rookie, it's pretty good, especially when you're dealing with like well above 30, pretty much every stop you had in the minor leagues. You can kind of project that to tick up a spot or two. I think the walk rate is probably going to be about the same. Maybe he gets it down below 10, which would be huge for him. And then maybe we can actually see, um, you know, a sub. I'm just trying to think exactly here, like a sub 3-7 ERA. Like, I think that you can truly break out um, if a few things turn right for him, if he is able to get that strikeout right back to the minor league level, if we do see him over the course of a full year. Because remember, he only threw 16 times last year. If we see 27, 28 stars from Gavin Williams, which I think we probably will, there's a good chance we do see him finish as a top 40 or so starting pitcher. I think that he is somebody who is going to kind of be underrated a little bit this year. And my ranking right now, I have him at 55. I'm, I'm going to push him up a little bit, though. Like, I think that Bybee's better right now, but there's a chance that Gavin Williams could end the year as the best arm in Cleveland. And I think that I'm probably not doing him enough justice having him ranked in the 50s. It's just a control, really. Like if you're, And it's the, kind of the concern for a lot of these young Cleveland arms, which, again, it bodes well being in a great pitching organization. A lot of them need to work on the control and the walk rates, the command and the walk rates, I should say. If they are getting below 10 below 9%, a lot of these guys, they are going to be successful. If they're still walking 10 11 12% of guys, it's going to be tricky. Uh, but in this rotation, in this organization, I should say, uh, you have a higher level of confidence than you would for most. They are... A pitching factory. We've seen that now for the last decade or so. Uh, you got to have more confidence in these starting pitchers than you would for a group of starting pitchers on the Nationals or the White Sox or any other team, really. Um, they're arguably the best pitching development franchise in baseball. I like a lot of these guys, um, but they are not without their risks as well. So when you are going to be selecting Guardians pitchers this year, if you are, just make sure you know that there is a very high floor uh, excuse me, a very high ceiling for a lot of them, but there's also um, quite a low floor for some of them as well. The bullpen does not require a lot of analysis here. Emmanuel Classe is about the safest closer in all of baseball in terms of job security. Like, he would have to be just so dreadful to lose that job. He's had 40-plus saves in each of the last two years. The concern for him was the strikeouts. They were already not really the same level as a lot of other closers, 26 to 28%, which is still, don't get me wrong, acceptable. But most closers, you're looking at a well above 30% strikeout rate. Classe fell down to 21% on the K rate. Now, he walks so few batters that it doesn't really matter from a strikeout minus walk perspective, but he still went from 24.7 down to 16 in terms of strikeout minus walk. It's not insignificant. We saw that ERA go to 3.22, where it had been 1.36 and 1.29. I think that he's really safe, but I also haven't drafted him yet. I, I, when I am going to take an early closer, it has been Devin Williams so far. If 
you're going to go in that range, you might as well go for the best. And Devin Williams strikes out more batters. He has as much job security. It's just like the same thing as Classe, essentially, except that he's going to strike out a hell of a lot more batters. If you are going to take an early closer, I'd get that strikeout rate taken care of as well because there are guys where you can get the combination of the job security with a strikeout rate. And I think the job security is a huge thing for Classe, but those lack of Ks are really, really concerning. Like if you got a guy who's striking out less than a batter per inning as your closer, especially as your number one closer, you might be in for some trouble. If there was something that would have happened to him, uh, you know, if he gets injured this year or if there is whatever, really terrible, awful performance, I feel like Scott Barlow is the guy that they would initially turn to just because he's been closing these last couple of years, and he's probably the guy to speculate on if you really want to in deeper leagues. But I don't think there's really any need to outside of very, very, very deep formats to take a shot on Scott Barlow. If something does happen to Classe, then we'll figure it out throughout the year. They'll figure it out throughout the year, and then we'll we'll pick up the guy that does get the job. I don't know if it's worth speculating on before the season outside of maybe a draft and hold where you don't get pickups in year. I think for most of you guys, your standard drafting 300 players type of deal, I don't think Barlow is going to be cutting it off the top of the season. Will he get there potentially? I honestly doubt it, but if there is an injury, he's probably the guy that they do uh, turn to. But that'll do it for us, guys. We're going to do another team preview tomorrow. going to keep it secret for now, but we will announce that one probably over on Twitter, or maybe we'll just wait until the podcast tomorrow uh, to let you guys know what team we're going to be covering. But appreciate everybody coming by for these team previews for all the shows we've been doing. I want to remind you as well, which I should be doing at the top of the shows, and I always forget, is to check out our YouTube channel. It's just called Sports Ethos. I know a lot of people say, like, youtube.com slash whatever just go search up sports ethos on youtube you will find it we've been adding a lot of followers subscribers whatever over there recently because we're doing a hell of a lot of content uh, nba videos dan vespers is doing a ton of nba content fantasy basketball content live and pre-recorded stuff and so am i we're getting multiple videos up there every single week and multiple draft live streams including uh likely what we'll see on tuesday i probably shouldn't even say this because it's not 100 percent confirmed but i'm probably going to be doing a live stream of my tout wars draft on tuesday at least for part of it anyway uh still figuring out logistics but uh we are going to be doing a lot of live content and you can find all of that on youtube and also on our socials at joe rico 99 and at ethos fantasy bb we'll be back tomorrow to wrap up the week but until then everybody take care have a great night